Welcome to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Green Code. We are a tech startup based down in Cornwall, and it is our mission to reduce food waste in the hospitality and food service sector. In today's episode, we hear from Professor Stefan Bowen from the University of Exeter to hear about the projects he's working on to promote sustainability in business. We then hear from Hannah Pierce, the founder of Falmouth Zero Waste Shop. And lastly, we hear from Nav Sawney to hear about his hand-powered washing machines. So keep listening to find out more. First up, here is Professor Stefan Bowen. Hi, Stefan. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to give us just sort of a brief overview of what you do and who you are. Yeah, sure. My name is Stefan Bohm. I'm Professor of Organisation Sustainability at the University of Exeter based in Cornwall on the Penryn campus. And I do research and a lot of engagement activities around sustainability and circular economy approaches, working with uh, government, local government, do a lot with Cornwall Council, uh, local SMEs here in Cornwall uh, and the wider Southwest region, as well as working with quite a few civil society organizations and NGOs, community groups, etc. And so can you tell us about any of the um, projects you're working on currently in Cornwall? Sure. So I'm, I'm one of the principal investigators of the TEVI project. Uh, TEVI is one of our sort of flagship projects we run on the Penryn campus, which engages with a lot of uh, small, medium-sized enterprises here in Cornwall, working with them on um, environmental growth and circular economy. Environmental growth is a key um, policy of the council here in Cornwall, which is basically aiming to grow the environment alongside uh, looking out for you know, jobs and economic growth. But you know, we, you know, we 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 say this can only be achieved if we also do that alongside uh, growing the environment. Uh, and circular economy, which is about uh, reducing waste, reusing materials, and uh, generally, uh, you know, keeping the value of of products for a lot longer than than we currently have in the linear economy, where we produce a lot of waste. Um, I do quite a lot of climate change as well. I. I have done research on carbon markets and carbon trading and looking at the effectiveness of these carbon trading schemes. Um, so these are some of examples of the projects I'm, I'm, I'm running. Brilliant. Um, some really important work you're doing then. Um, and of course, we are a startup that's focused on reducing food waste. Uh, what sort of projects have you worked on or currently working on related to food waste? Sure. Well, Tevi is is not focused on on food and agri food in, in in particular, but we have a number of uh, food related uh, projects and companies that are trying to reduce food waste. So one thing that comes to mind, which I can expand on later, is, is the company called Wasted Apples, 
which is uh, essentially making use of wasted apples, as it says in the, in the name, uh, and, and producing cider from it. Uh, and that's really a, a great, uh, great example. Amazing. Um, and sort of from your research and experience of working with lots of different organisations and community groups and things, um, I guess, sort of what would be your best advice to maybe individuals or people wanting to get involved with sort of the whole idea of zero waste or circular economy? Um, what would your be your advice to them? Well, there, there are things we can do in our daily lives um, that, that, that prioritises zero waste and reuse of materials and reducing uh, food waste. So in Tebi, for example, we are working with a company called Incredible Bulk, which is essentially um, you know, helping people to reduce waste by buying in bulk and refilling. Um, you know, it's a refill, it's a mobile refill station as, as it were. So rather than you know going to the typical supermarket and buying uh, sort of individual bottles of, of uh, washing liquid or whatever, you know, you could you could uh, you know reuse your bottle and refill it in that mobile van, for example. Um, you know, everybody could uh, run their own compost, you know, even if you live in a flat or, or, or a small house, you know, you could have your own um, food composting scheme and putting it onto, onto uh, your veg beds um, to, you know, to feed them with nutrients as it were. So you could have a little bit of a circular economy in your house uh, going on. Having said that, I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting all you know putting all effort onto helping individual consumers to change their their individual uh, behavior i think what is really needed now is um you know is a system change so this is not individual consumer behavior but it's 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 involving a, a vast amount of stakeholders uh, in a supply chain to agree on 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 changes, so that's what what's called essentially is systems change. And here we're looking also for policymakers to to help us to to push push these systems changes forward. So councils, local authorities, and what are called anchor organisations, the you know the large sort of public service organisations, including hospital trust. They need to come together to agree, you know, better procurement systems. Because individually, you know, we 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 can do a lot, but we can't, you know, we can't change systems individually. We can only change systems if we work together with other people uh, and and you know, with other uh, stakeholders from business, civil society, and and government. Thank you. That's a really important point there. Um, and so with sort of the current situation um, and this whole Build Back Better movement, there's kind of a really good opportunity to create that change. Um, do you think it's possible to make any significant movement with this um, and how so? Yes, I think the Build Back Better campaign is is a very good one and 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 i think people 
you know, we are living through, you know, a very deep crisis, you know, a, a deep systems crisis. You know, the COVID-19 uh, challenge we are facing is, is, is a systems crisis, um, you know, which we need to address as, as such. And I, I think people realise that, you know, the system is under strain, you know, um, it, a small virus can have huge impacts on on our economic, uh, social, and and environmental system. So this this you know the small bug, if you can call it that, has this huge impact that is affecting everyone and everything uh, across the globe right now. So I actually believe it's it's a bit of a um, a test bed for for the things that we need to do and for the kind of system thinking we need to do for, for you know, facing uh, much bigger challenges, including climate change. Um, so what we're living through now is a, is a bit of a, um, a test bed for, for, for what is required in the coming two to three decades as we are you know, as we are sort of entering the hot phase, if you like, of climate action, where we really need to make fundamental changes to our social and economic systems, uh, you know, if we want to have any chance of, uh, you know, averting climate disaster and and implementing the Paris uh, Agreement. So, so the Build Back Better campaign is is you know is is feeding into that where we. We, you know, where we have to ask big questions and think radically about how we want to, um, you know, how we want to organise our system, uh, our systems uh, in society and and uh, economy, and and I think now is a good time to do that because in a you know in a deep crisis that you know we have we had a lot of people who suffered uh, a lot and will continue to suffer a lot of people will will lose their jobs unfortunately um you know over the coming months and and even years um but you know every crisis has has sort of you know uh, an opportunity attached to it so that we can actually think about you know do we do we want the same jobs uh, again or do we want better jobs you know, a lot of jobs, for example, in Cornwall are low skilled, temporary, seasonal, low paid. And, you know, the economy we've been running in, in, in Cornwall, for example, hasn't been resilient um, and not creating great social and environmental outcomes. So how can we actually um, have better jobs after COVID-19? How can we have more resilient um, you know, in a, a more resilient economy. Um, you know, how can we keep more value that we that we have here uh, in Cornwall? How can we keep more value uh, in in Cornwall and generate more value out of the you know the natural beauty we have and enhancing the natural beauty and the natural capital we have? So these are all sort of questions that are, in my mind, all related and. Um, I, I, I hope and I feel that the you know quite a few people and stakeholders from business, uh, civil society as well as government 
uh, realize that that this is actually an opportunity to, to build back better and and um, uh, you know think of the big challenges we we are facing uh, now, including climate change. Absolutely. Well, I think that's all the questions I had for you. Um, I just want to say thank you for sharing your insight and thank you for speaking with us. Next up, we have Hannah Pierce. So how did you come up with the idea for a plastic-free shop in Falmouth? I went on quite a journey. I um, was living in Australia, which is where I first started seeing um, the amount of waste because I was living in a city for the first time. And I started seeing the amount of single-use coffee cups that were being used and it started to irritate me. and then I decided to move away from city life and came back to Cornwall and started seeing the amount of um, plastic litter on the beaches here. Um, and also I visited Indonesia and Niger on my way home from Australia and saw the amounts of litter over there. There were just rivers filled with it and islands over, over, overfilling with, with plastic um, straight into the ocean. So I decided to raise some awareness um, and I did a, I went and hiked the Camino de Santiago, which is a long um, hike in Spain, traditionally a pilgrimage. But I did it all plastic free and raised money for Surface Against Sewage. And that was where I really started to see the impact that if one person stands up and, and does something, then the ripple effects are incredible. So I met people all the way along that I impacted and I impacted people's thoughts at home. And this was back in 2017 before anyone was really talking about it. It was pre-David Attenborough, Blue Planet. And um, along that walk, one day I just said, why can we not walk into a shop anymore and not see any plastic? And that was the seed for the idea, really. (laughs) And I came home after achieving a 500-mile walk with the belief that I could start my own business and just kind of started, got the ball rolling and went for it and didn't, didn't stop or think twice. So how accessible is a plastic-free lifestyle? Uh, back in 2017, it was very challenging um, to avoid plastics. Um, single-use plastics was possible if you went without a lot of things. Um, but now, three years later, I'd say that it's easily achievable. It can definitely be done, um, it, but it's a process. So if you start with single-use plastics like coffee cups, water bottles, um, single-use cutlery, if you start with those things and eliminate those, once you've got into the habit of that, you can start eliminating from your supermarket shops by choosing to shop at plastic-free shops or choosing to only buy things that are unwrapped, um, using your local small farmer's market. Um, and then once you've done that, you can move on to your bathroom. And, yeah, it's a process. If you just start small, start taking some little steps at a time and get used to them, then I think it's 100% achievable. Loads of my customers do it, and I've been doing it for years, so... How do you go about finding zero-waste suppliers for your products? Um, So we buy in bulk, mainly from two or three main wholesalers. Um, That's where the majority of our rice and and pastas and things come from. Um, And then the majority of those uh, things come in large 25-kilo paper sacks, which we then give to our customers or other businesses to reuse or the the worst-case scenarios that get recycled. Um, any plastic packaging on the food that does come in, we send off that can't be recycled, we send off to Terra Cycle, so um, it's 
you know, used to build benches and, and other things. But yeah, the majority of things do come in paper and obviously bulk, so you're reducing massively. And um, it means the consumer doesn't have to take any waste home. So um, the business is responsible for any waste that comes in, which is a lot more, re- like much more manageable um, than expecting consumers to, to put it in their recycling. Um, and then obviously we've found out in the recent years that we don't know where that recycling is ending up. So if businesses take the responsibility, you can sort of guarantee what's happening to any waste and you can guarantee that the waste is massively reduced. And then in terms of lifestyle products and, and other things, we try and source locally. So lots of our makeup wipes, food wraps, um, all these reusable lifestyle products that we stock, they are all made locally out of repurposed material, repurposed cottons and materials. So therefore, you know, I can employ a local mum to produce a, gr- a great product and keeping the money in the local economy and they can drop it off to me without any packaging whatsoever. That's the ideal um, scenario. And we've got quite a few of those. Uh, same with like face creams and things. We support small local businesses which deliver without any packaging. Um, and then other things we get in, they are, we only stock um people who will deliver it in cardboard boxes and like hopefully recycle cardboard boxes and then we recycle those or give them away to other people to reuse so yeah it's um again it's been a bit of a process for us like when we first opened we got some products in which we've now just continued um as we've learned but also over the years you just meet people and you hear about people and people approach us now and offer to sell their sell their wares through us um so over time, our stocks probably doubled or even tripled in the amount that we can we can fit in and, and absorb. So again, it's it's a process. It's not about being perfect straight away. It, everyone's got to learn and, and improve as we go along. So what do you do with the surplus food that hasn't been sold or, you know, is spilt or spoilt? The idea of, well, the majority of stock that we have is dried bulk foods, um, which can last for up to a year. And our turnovers quite high so there's not much wastage any food any grains that we drop on the floor within reason i tend to eat (laughs) Um, my shelves at home are full of floor food which i bring home and rinse off and then yeah eat when i'm when i need it um and other than that there's not much and with the veggies um again me and the staff will take them home if they're looking a bit sad if not, the worst case scenario is the, the local farmer that grows all the veg will take it back for compost and then it will end up back in its ground, um, you know, sort of feeding the, the next crop. So uh, as, as much as possible, we eliminate waste all the way up the chain. Great. So how did the coronavirus affect your business? The coronavirus, um, we had to change overnight. So because we're a food business, um, everybody had obviously started panic buying and we, because we stock in bulk, um, we suddenly had a huge influx of people, our regulars, but also people we'd never seen before trying to come in and, and bulk buy huge amounts of things. Um, but because of the nature of the business, in terms of, you know, people can bring their own containers and they can touch all the handles and the levers, we had to, um, after one day that felt almost scary for the staff, we decided to put up a barrier and start serving everybody. So there's now, when you step into the shop, instead of coming in and being able to play with all the dispensers, um, there's a barrier at the front, like a counter, um, and then we serve you, which meant that we could, A, limit the amount that people could take 
we still let them have about a kilo, but we kind of limited things at a kilo. Um, we were safe because we could keep a two meter distance and um, inside the shop was completely clean apart from me and the one other staff member that were working together. Um, so we could go around touching the dispensers. Um, but obviously we had to clean everything, um, followed strict hygiene procedures and we sanitized our hands between customers. Um, but it was also really empowering because we could source stock that other supermarkets couldn't get, for example, flour. At one point, we were selling 25 kilos of one type of flour, limited to a kilo per person in a day. So you know, huge amounts of flour being turned over, and we could more or less still keep hold of our stocks all the way through. It was just very stressful and huge changes overnight. But it was, like, great to have a business and know that it could survive a pandemic. Um, I think you've got to be doing something good to be able to stay open and provide what people need. It was just quite rewarding at the same time. I just, I think I need a holiday now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all my big questions. So finally, where can people find you or follow you online? Uh, we are based in Falmouth, uh, just off the moor on Weather Street. So if you go towards the library and you take a left down that one-way street, we're just up on the left-hand side. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and we have a website, which is un-rap.co.uk so unwrap.co.uk and lastly here is Nav Sawney so Nav I'm very eager to hear more about the washing machine project do you want to give us a quick introduction into what it is that you do yeah so thank you for having me on um, my name is Nav uh, it means new in Punjabi and I'm the founder of the washing machine project we are the only social enterprise in the world today making manual washing machines that save time, water and effort uh, for people who hand wash clothes, specifically for the humanitarian and development sector. It's amazing. Um, and I've heard that you were heavily inspired by your friend Davia. Um, just tell us a bit more about who she is and how the idea came about, basically. Yeah, that's a really good question, really val valid. I always, uh, it's always really important to understand the motivations of why things have, have started in the world. Yeah. So, uh, being an, uh, having an engineering background from a very young age, I was kind of obsessed with seeing how things worked. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd be very curious to, to, to understand how, how objects would would function um, my dad was an aerospace engineer and he'd he'd take me to to, to air shows i'd be fascinated with these big aircrafts in the sky uh, come home and take the toolbox out of the cupboard and take apart appliances and that used to like really anger my mum because i'd never know how to put those appliances back together again and yeah but i'd love to see how things work and um, so studying engineering was a very natural transition for me at university and I was lucky enough to land a graduate job at one of the best uh, technology companies in the world uh, and it was a dream job. I was really happy. About three years in, I, I decided to take a sabbatical and quit my job and you can imagine coming from an south asian community going back to my mom and saying you know i'm, I'm going to quit my job and 
do something else, that conversation didn't go down well. But, I can't imagine, yeah. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to, um, I wanted my engineering to do better, you know, to, to help people to, to go further, to have more of an impact on people who really need it. There's a lot of suffering in the, in the world, so I wanted to help the suffering. And yeah. so I, I volunteered for a social enterprise called Prakti in South India. Um, I did that for one year. I was living in a very rural village, and um, the village was really had really humble surroundings. So there's limited access to electricity, limited access to water, very hot. Um, so uh, storing food was a problem. Uh, cooking gas was a problem. Things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my next neighbor was a lady called Divya. And she was the only lady on the street, if not the village, that spoke English. Uh, perfect English that she learned in high school, but never used since. She got married at the age of 17, uh, had two children, and was a stay-at-home mum. And she wanted to work, but never had the time or the resource. Um, and so Divya became a very good friend of mine, my best friend, would catch up on the day's activities, you know, catch up on life, all the struggles that we face. And every day I would see Divya doing some sort of unpaid work, whether it was cooking or cleaning or washing the children or fetching wood to, to cook the food. Uh, there was always something that she was doing. And so there was one evening that I, I saw her manually washing her clothes by hand on her, on her, on her knees, uh, scrubbing each piece of cloth, interacting with Dettol and detergent and soap, causing skin irritation and back pain. And that's when I promised her a manual washing machine. Uh, and I said, Divya, I can, I can fix this for you. I can make you a manual washing machine. Yeah, and... and and her eyes lit up and, and we haven't looked back since. That's amazing. So what kind of impact do you want your washing machines to have on uh, women in similar situations to Divya? So if you are a woman in the world today, you will be disproportionately affected by unpaid labour. Mm-hmm. Uh, women in the world today are cooking, cleaning and childbearing more than men no matter where you are. If we look at the development sector, this problem is exasperated. Someone like Divya is spending more than 20 hours per week just on hand-washing clothes. That's two and a half working days. If you compare that to the equivalent of a man, spends roughly around two hours. Yeah. That's not fair. No. It needs to change, and it blocks a development for women and it it hampers on growth in the world yeah Um, we know and we have seen with the pandemic that women are further being disproportionately affected they are being required to gather more water queue in areas where there might be the spread of disease domestic violence is up Um, hygiene 
problems with uh, sanitary pads is difficult and, and hard to source. So women need the equal opportunities to men. And, yeah. and that's what the washing machine project is. We are giving those equal opportunities. We are giving time back to people like Divya to better spend uh, on things that they choose to spend on, you know, like yeah. education and uh, starting a business or childbearing. And that's the impact that we have. Our washing machine saves three quarters of the, of the time, uh, half the water, and limits back pain and joint pain and skin irritation. Brilliant. And moving on to your work with Oxfam, I know you've been working with them closely for just over a year now. So what is it that you've done with them exactly? In February 2019, we were lucky enough to be invited to Iraq to trial one of our prototypes in camps in, in Kurdistan uh, with Yazidi refugees. The feedback was fantastic. The average size of family in Iraq in camps is nine. Half of that family would be... Um, under the age of five, so lots of clothes being washed every day. So we, we got lots of different insights, you know. People wanted large washing machines, people wanted to stand up whilst you're using it, people wanted easy access to water. And so we uh, were lucky enough to be collaborated with Oxfam and the Iraq Innovation Lab, who um, seed funded this project. Um, up until then, it was um, self-funded through my pocket. And, and Oxfam uh, gave us a grant and said, we love the project, we love the, uh, the, the work people are doing, and um, uh, we want 50 of these washing machines to be distributed in camps in Mosul. So in, in March this year, we distributed 50, and we're getting uh, real-time feedback on that. That's what great. this has done is, uh, what is, this has done is given us a real insight into how things work, how the machine will be adopted. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going into Jordan next in November with the United Nations. And, yeah, it's a really exciting time for the washing machine. Um, and a congratulations is in order for raising already 78% of your 10K target. So where can people find you to donate um, for this cause? Yeah, we've been really lucky on our fundraising just yesterday, we had an anonymous donation of five hundred pounds. That's uh, great. Uh, um, so it's yeah, been really supported by the community. We have a fundraising through Just Giving, um, and you can can reach us out through Just Giving. Just type in the Washing Machine Project and Just Giving next one, and it will come up. And you can um, follow our socials as well as our website. You mentioned that you're going to Jordan later this year, so I'm sure you have a lot of exciting things going on. What kind of things are those? Oh man, dude, <laughs> like it's 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 insane. Um, I have three podcast books for this week, two speaking events. Um, busy. Uh, um, we were, we have a United Nations meeting in a couple of weeks to implement in Jordan. We're launching our Kitchens for Causes program next week, which is partnering up with kitchen appliance companies and giving us donations to their CSR programs. And um, we want the washing machine project uh, to be in uh, Jordan, in growing Iraq. We want to expand in India. 
in Pakistan, in, in the Indonesia, Nigeria, Brazil, you know, we've had we've had orders from South America to 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 Northeast America, uh, Northeast Africa. So it's a really exciting time, and we need a lot of help. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a really interesting time. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Those are the questions. Um, it was great to hear what you guys have been up to, but if you just want to give a shout out to your website or any other places online that you'll be. Sure, and I just want to say thank you very much to the listener, wherever you are in the world, uh, listening to this. Uh, it's really important to, to make impact and to be ethical in every kind of decision that you make. Um, so that's really important and worth saying. Um, I think, especially in the younger generation, we feel quite scared to make a difference or be different. And I'm here to say that those kinds of times have changed, and it's really important to to really act on on those ethical um, thoughts that you have in your mind. Um, and you can support the Washing Machine Project by volunteering your time, donating, or advertising or publicizing our work uh, you can follow us on the washing machine project uh, on all social media facebook instagram twitter linkedin and um, yeah i'm really open to conversation love to hear what you what your thoughts are great thank you very much thank you for listening to the zero waste code brought to you by green code if you'd like to keep updated with us then head to greencode.net where you'll find all our social media links and newsletter sign up or feel free to get in touch with us on our email contact at greencode.net